Well, let's pray. Let's start out with that. Let's go there. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just, I just thank you for this glorious day. I thank you for these people. Uh, I thank you for, for putting us here in this local body in, uh, at Del Rio Bible Church. And I just, I just pray that we would honor you, Lord, that our lives would reflect you and not ourselves. I pray that uh, all around this city this morning, that you would be honored in the music, from the pulpits, in the relationships of your people, that you would be honored. Lord, I pray as we study your word that we learn more about you, that we draw closer to you. And that that applies to our walk. Lord, I thank you for moms this morning. Every single one of us came into this world from a mother, and I just thank you for them. Lord, I especially want to lift up single moms. What a difficult, difficult job. And I, I pray with a broken heart over the condition of families in our country. But I pray that you give those single mothers strength, perseverance, wisdom, and lots of support. And those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would send them somebody to introduce or to reintroduce them to you. Draw them close to you. Because you are our, the ultimate source of all good things. Lord, help us as we study your word. Help us to understand what you have for each one of us. Help us not to go off on wrong doctrines. Help us to be true to what your intent is for our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you already got the synopsis of today's message, but it, I think it's, it's important at this point to go back and, and, and big picture look at the book of Colossians that we've been going through. Because it's taken us a while, because I don't preach that often. And it's so easy as we study the Bible to be looking at the immediate context because we're looking at the passage that, that, that we're focusing on that day and forget where we've come from and where we're going. And remember, this is a letter that would have been read. I mean, it'd take you, if you sat down and read this, it'd take you 15 minutes to read it. But we can't study it in any kind of depth in, in one sermon. Now, if you guys are willing to sit, stand here for, stay here for about eight to 10 hours, we could probably knock through it in depth in one sitting. Our eyes would all be glazed in the back of our head, and I don't know how useful that would be, but it's important to remember where we've been and where we're going and what the big picture purpose of the letter is. So remember, back in Colossians 1, 1 through 8, Paul just had his opening statements and then really gets in the meat of it starting in 9 through 12. And he gives us his purpose statement. In his prayer for the Colossian church, he gives us his purpose statement for this letter. Why is he writing it? He says, for this reason, again, this is Colossians 1, starting in 9. For this reason also, since the day I've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God, strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience 
joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So Paul prays for them. Basically what you get out of this is two things. He prays for them that they would know God, that they would know Jesus Christ. And then through the book, he talks about the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's number one. And number two, that that knowledge would lead to them walking in a way that's worthy of Jesus Christ. So the knowledge leads to the walk. The knowledge leads to the walk. And then we're going to see him go back and forth between knowledge of, of God and the walk throughout the rest of this book. He's going to go from knowledge to walk. Right after he says that in, thir- in, in, first, in Colossians sorry, 13, number one, or chapter 1, 13 through 23, he talks about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then in, in 1, 24 through 2, 3, he talks about our walk what we need to be doing, walking worthily. And then 2, 4 through 8, he continues that and saying, don't be deluded by man's reasoning. And we looked at that a lot last week. Don't be fooled by the reasoning of the world. Stick with Jesus Christ. The person and work of Jesus Christ. The reasoning of the Bible. Don't be deluded, don't be fooled by the reasoning of the world. And he talked a lot about that last week, and we, or last time, and we talked about some of the things that we're seeing, I ask you guys to tell me, and some of the things you guys came up with that you're seeing is the sexuality, uh, gender, race, abortion, marriage, evolution, and all those things we talked about last time where man's reasoning is completely divulged or diverged from God's reasoning. And we're to stick with God's reasoning. So again, he, he went through knowing God and he told us because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, don't be deluded by the arguments of man. And then in 2, 9 through 15, he got back into the person and work of Christ, and we ended with that last week. Or not last week, but the last time we spoke. He got back into the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then today we're going to get back into the walk a little bit, and then we're going to go back into the person and work of Christ, and then back into the walk. And you see, as Paul goes through this, he just goes back and forth to where eventually from here through 4, 6, he talks more about the walk. Okay, And then in 4, 6 or 4, 7 through 18, he just has some concluding remarks. That's Paul's big picture. Hey, I pray that you know God and that you walk worthily because of that knowledge. And then he's just going back and forth. And this morning, we're going to be looking, hey, based on, again, the first first thing we're going to look at this morning is therefore, in verse 16, 216, it says therefore. What do you mean, therefore? Well, because of what he just went over with the person and work of Jesus Christ right before that. So let's read the passage, and then let's get into this walk. Let's see what Paul has for us this morning. And again, the synopsis is, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, give me Jesus. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to the food or drink or in respect to festival day or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, 
Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to degrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And he goes on, but that's as much as we're going to get to this morning. That's as much as we're going to get to this morning. So therefore, let no one act as your judge. Remember, he just got done saying that in Christ you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. In Christ you were buried with him in baptism. You were raised up with him through faith. You were dead in your trespasses, and He made you alive. He canceled out the certificate of debt against us. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the spiritual forces that are against us. He paraded them. The victorious parade that they would understand there, the Romans. He, he, he paraded them. He made a public display of the evil forces by His resurrection. Because of all that, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he says, because of what Christ has done, don't go back into this world. What he's talking about here is legalism. There's three things that he talks about here between uh, verse 16 and the end of chapter 2. He, and I'm just going to kind of uh, combine them all together. He talks about legalism, he talks about mysticism, and he talks about asceticism. Okay? So, legalism. What's legalism? Legalism is what the Jews were in before Christ. Right? Following the law. Following a set of rules. My righteousness depends on a set of rules. That's legalism. Mysticism. What's mysticism? Mysticism is there's some special knowledge out there that you got to get. Where do we see that today? We see it in astrology. Uh, we, we see it in uh, um, some of the, the New Age religions. This mysticism, this spiritualism that is not of God, it's of something else. Okay? Uh, so that's mysticism. Asceticism is controlling the body, okay? Being harsh to the body, making sure the body is, man, strictly do it. Where might you see that today? Uh, people who are really, really into yoga and that becomes their religion. I'm going to 
you know, I'm going to make sure my body stays in line. That's kind of, that's asceticism, okay? So those are the things that he's talking about in this. And we're going to go through and look at those. And he says, because of what Christ has did for you, don't fall into that stuff. Don't let anybody put you back into that. And when you talk about legalism, Galatians is a great, go read the entire book of Galatians. It talks a lot about legalism. And he says, you know, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He says, why, since you have been set free by faith, would you live by the law? Don't do that. Live by faith as well. Live by grace. Live in Christ. Don't let anybody act as your judge in regard to food or drink or festivals or new moon Sabbaths. Legalism. The law pointed to Christ. Don't go back into the shadow. Romans 7. Go look at Romans 7. You want to see what the purpose of the law was. Paul goes into it significantly in Romans 7. J. Vernon McGee said, Therefore, my friend, if God has saved you and raised you from the dead and joined you to a living Christ, why should you go back into the law that you couldn't keep in the first place? Israel showed us. God showed us through telling us about Israel's life that they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't be righteous by keeping the law. Christ had to come. And set us free from the law because he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it perfectly. So why, if you've been freed, why, if the list of sins or list of charges against you have been nailed to the cross, would you go back into that and submit yourself again to legalistic rules? Don't do it. Now we got to talk a little bit about legalism versus licentiousness. Okay, so we have freedom, right? But that freedom isn't to do anything that we want to do, right? Even Paul says in, a couple times, he says, all things are permissible, but not all things are good. Not all things are edifying. All right. So legalism versus licentiousness. Where do we see legalism? And legalism in the first century and in the Colossian context was the Jewish rules. And you can see that. Food, Sabbath day, festivals. We don't generally worry about that a whole lot today here. Now, you may, if you get, uh, you know, uh, roped in or if you get somebody to uh, get you into kind of a, a um, messianic congregation, some of those can be very legalistic because they're still trying to follow the Jewish laws. But for the most part, that's not where we struggle with legalism today. Where do we, as evangelical Christians, struggle with legalism? Anybody? Guess we don't need to go into it because nobody struggles with legalism. I know there's one, at least one person in this room that grew up as a Baptist. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> two. At least two people in this room that grew up as a Baptist. Okay? They have some rules that they have to follow. And every, most other denominations are the same. Okay, we can struggle. We have to be careful that even in our body here, we don't fall under the yoke of legalism. And how does legalism happen? It's like in most cases, legalism happens as a, um, as it starts as a good thing. And I think it started the same with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very legalistic, right? But I think it starts as a good thing because 
and and as, as, a, as a former pilot, and you pilots will understand, and I would bet that the prosecutors probably have the same thing, the Border Patrol has the same thing, and I know air traffic control has the same thing. You've got procedures, things that you have to do. These are the rules. And then you've got techniques. This is how you apply the rules. What happens, and what happened to the Pharisees, the Pharisees, you know, God said, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do no work on the Sabbath. And then Jobab goes up to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I don't know what that means. And the rabbi says, well, let's look at some things that we can do to, to make sure we're not working on the Sabbath. We're, we're not going to go harvest our fields. Matter of fact, you probably shouldn't walk more than two miles on the Sabbath because it starts to become work when you go more than two miles. So it, I think most legalism starts out as trying to be helpful. And it turns into, we forget what the procedure is, and we make the techniques the rules. And now i got to follow the techniques. Maybe you guys grew up in a congregation where you couldn't drink. It was completely verboten. Alcohol was like, can't do it. The rule is, the procedure from the Bible, Ephesians, don't get drunk. Somebody says, man, I'm really struggling with that. Okay, i got an idea for you. Don't drink. Impossible to get drunk if you don't drink. That's probably a pretty good technique if you struggle with that. But the technique became the rule. And they said, you just can't drink. How about, I know in the Bible Belt, where Jan and I grew up in Oklahoma, co-ed dancing, that's a sin for sure. And co-ed swimming, another one. Again, the procedure was, don't lust. Don't have lust for somebody else. And the technique was, you see somebody in a bathing suit, it's, hard not to, it's not hard not to lust. You get out there on the dance floor with somebody, it's hard not to lust. So you shouldn't go co-ed swimming, and you shouldn't, some things to help you, don't go co-ed swimming, don't go dancing. But over time, the technique becomes a procedure, and you're in legalism. We have to always be careful of not letting our techniques, things that, hey, this is what the Bible says, this is what helps me follow that, that technique may be great, but as soon as I try to put that on somebody else and say, you have to do this too, I've just fallen into legalism. And I ought not do that. Okay, so that's what Paul's talking about. Don't let anybody, Christ nailed all that stuff to the cross, so don't let anybody charge you as far as what you drink, what festivals you deal with. What special days you celebrate? It's great to go to church on Christmas and Easter, as well as every other Sunday, but church attendance doesn't get you to heaven, even on Christmas and Easter. I know, it's hard to believe, isn't it? You mean I could go to church every Christmas and Easter and still not go to heaven? Yeah, because it's not a legalistic religion. It's about a relationship, not about the rules. Right? It's about the relationship, not about the rules. Don't fall into legalism. Don't let people tell you what you ought to do. But how about, I thought Paul, and if we go to Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, which we may go there a little bit, Paul talks about food that has been sacrificed to idols. And he talks about reigning in our freedom. Because we have freedom as Christians, but do we let that freedom 
carry us to do anything. And he talks about, hey, maybe you don't eat meat or anything else for the sake of somebody else. So how do I know? Let's actually go to 1 Corinthians 8 real quick. Just so you guys have the full context that I have in my brain, because otherwise you may miss the point here. 1 Corinthians 8, he says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, concerning eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither worse if we do eat, nor better if we do, or worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. But take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone dining in an idol's temple, or if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And thus, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their consciences, then it, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, and I will not, and that I might not cause my brother to stumble. Go forward to 10, uh, 23. Because he goes through some other stuff, and then he goes back uh, to talk about this. He says, all things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone should say to you, this meat is sacrificed to an idol, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the, conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why, I am, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So why do I bring that up? Because the point is, we can be so forceful in our liberty that we run over somebody else. And we don't want to do that either. We don't want to be bound by legalism, but we don't want to run over a brother or sister in our liberty. We don't want to say, I'm doing it. I don't care. You're just a weaker brother. You don't, I don't care. I'm going to do it because I have freedom in Christ to do it. And that's Paul's point with, with, with the sacrifice idol. He said, hey, you can eat anything you want, but if somebody tells you, hey, this was sacrificed for an idol, you shouldn't eat it. Not because it means anything to you, but because it means something to them. Because it means something to them. So how do you know, when somebody's trying to tell you and you're talking with somebody, how do you know whether this person's kind of in the trap of legalism and you need to admonish them out of legalism, or whether they're 
struggling with something and you need to help them by restraining your liberty to struggle to get through that how do you know that i'm gonna give you a couple techniques not procedures people not procedures techniques okay one is generally if somebody's struggling with legalism they're judging your holiness with what they do they're saying you ought not to do that because you're not living a holy life if you do that so they're looking at you and and telling you you ought not to do something because they're worried about your holiness if it's the the weaker brother or sister they're generally worried about their own holiness they're going i don't know what i should do here because i don't want to do the wrong thing okay and that's the the primary big difference between somebody who is legalistic versus struggling the person that you need to not come under their yoke but help them get out of the yoke of legalism versus the person who you need to restrain your freedom to help them and it might be a short-term restraining your freedom it may be a long-term restraining your freedom uh, it just depends uh, as you as you bring that that person along and as, as they come along so that's legalism okay we don't want to fall into the trap of, of, of legalism Mysticism. he goes on in verse 18 he says let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels taking a stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being uh, supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from god so mysticism some special knowledge no my translation starts out with let no one keep defrauding you of your prize other translations say disqualify. The NIV says disqualify. The NLT says uh, condemn. The NET says pass judgment. The King James and the New King James say cheat you of your reward. It's a hard word to translate because it's found exactly once in Scripture, right here. So there's nothing else to really compare it to. But in uh, the Greek culture, the word meant an umpire, somebody who's there umpire and when i when i say umpire i think of baseball that's not what they would think of okay they're thinking of somebody in their sporting games that would look over them and if they cheated disqualify them from the prize okay you don't get the prize because you cheated so that's the idea that that's the idea of this word don't let anybody look over you and say you don't get your prize because you cheated don't let anybody umpire you and why would they be umpiring you? Because they're in self-abasement or this asceticism, this controlling of the body. They're in worship of angels. Every time I read this passage, I, I can't help it. I'm sorry, I think of the Mormons. The angel Moroni. You know, the worship of angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen. Pretty much every cult in Christian history has come about because people stop looking exclusively at this and they start listening to somebody who had a vision from God. Somebody who was visited by an angel. And oh, by the way, the angel told me this special knowledge that you can't get in here, so we need to go this way. And Paul's telling us, don't be taken in by those folks. As a matter of fact, he tells us they get arrogant. They get puffed up because, without cause because of their fleshly mind. Okay, They get arrogant. Don't be taken in by mysticism, astrology, all that stuff. Don't be taken in by that. And the defrauding of your prize, the calling, telling you you're unqualified. What prize is he talking about? We can't lose our salvation, right? Paul tells us other places, we don't lose our salvation. 
So what prize is he talking about? Well, we're not sure. I'll tell you what I think it is. I think he's talking about our abundant life. Because Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Right? The Christian life is not supposed to be morose and boring and, and joyless and trudging through life following a bunch of rules. Right? That's not the Christian life. The Christian life should be full of joy, full of thankfulness. Paul tells us that all the time. But man, if you're into some of these things, you're into legalism, I've got to follow these rules, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, man, it can rob you of your joy. It can rob you of the joy of the Christian life. So I think that's what he's talking about, but we're not sure. That prize of that abundant life here on earth with Jesus. He says, don't be taken in by mysticism. He says, you can tell what these, these people in, in the last part of 18 and the first part of 17 is, is they're inflated in their own fleshly mind. They're conceited. They're prideful in their fleshly mind. And they're not holding fast to the head. Well, who's the head? Jesus, right? Paul told us that in the same chapter, or sorry, one chapter ago in 118. He said he is also the head of the body, the church. When he was explaining to us the person and work of Jesus Christ, he told us that he's the head of the church. And now he goes back as he's talking about our walk. He says, these people, you'll know them because they're not holding on to the head. They're not holding on to Jesus Christ. They're, looking, they're following something else. They're following something else. And they're very clever. They may talk to you about Jesus Christ. They may look on the outside like they're talking about Jesus Christ, but they're really not. So they can be very clever. Satan is, is, is quite the deceiver. He says they're not holding fast to the head. And the implication is we should be holding fast to the head. Why? Because if we're holding fast to the head, he says you're being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments and growth, and it's a growth that comes from God. The source of the growth, the source of the unity in the church for us is God. It's not anything else. It's not the worship of angels. It's not some special revelation that anybody has. It's God. Stick with the word, folks. Stick with the word. Hold fast to Christ. He goes on talks more about this legalism and asceticism and uh, mysticism he says if you have died with christ what's he talking about there if you've died with christ we, we've died with christ he told us that that's earlier in chapter two that we went over last time we talked about it where he says you have been buried with him in, in 212 you have buried with him in baptism in which you have also raised up with him through faith so now Paul's going to use that imagery that he talked about earlier than we talked about last time we went through Colossians, but we can't forget it because it's only six or seven verses earlier. And he's going to use that image and he's going to use it here over the next several verses. And he's going to tell us if, and really a better way to say that would be since, because he's, talking to, he's tra talking to believers, but since you have died with Christ, if you have died with Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are in him, you have died with him, okay, to the elementary principles of the world, okay, to the basic things of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to such decree, to these decrees? What do you mean, why, as if I was living in the world? I am living in the world, Paul. But he tells us other places, yes, we're living in the world, but we're living for Christ. We have died, and, we're, and he's going to go on and tell us we're hidden in Christ. We're citizens, not of this world, we're citizens of heaven. Okay, we get that idea, especially 
in Philippians. Why do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? And then there's a parenthetical statement there that says all those things have to, are dest- are, have to do with things that are destined to perish. Okay? Do not handle, not, do not taste, do not touch. Don't eat that food. That food's going to perish. Don't handle this. That's going to perish. It all has to do with temporal things that are going away. He says, why do you submit yourself to, the, to these rules about these temporal things? And all those things, he says, are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. In other words, let's get rid of the parenthetical statement there and read it. It says, do not, he says, why do you submit yourself to such decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? He just went through a whole part of saying, don't be deluded by the teachings of men. Stick with the teachings of Christ. Stick with the knowledge of Christ. So don't submit yourself to the techniques. Why would you submit yourself to the techniques? When you know the head, when you're plugged into the head and you have the knowledge from God. And he tells, he's, verse 23 makes it very clear. He says, these things, these matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. A lot of this stuff looks like it's wisdom. But it's not. He says, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. Man, it looks like it's wise. It looks like it's pretty good stuff but it's according to the reasoning of men. He said, but they are no value against fleshly indulgence. If the techniques could make you righteous, why did Jesus have to come? Israel would have been the end of the story. Because God gave them the law and they had all kinds of techniques to follow it. If we as humans could do it, Christ wouldn't have had to come. We can't. And he just told us Christ did away with all that stuff. Because of the person and work of Christ, why would you walk in this manner? Don't do it. He says it's no value against fleshly indulgence. They seem wise, but they're powerless. I guarantee it doesn't matter what technique I said, we grew up in that that Bible belt with the don't dance, don't do this. There isn't a power in this world that eventually doesn't get you to dance and to go swimming and to, you know, the the rules will not work. Was it Scott that told me the joke? I don't remember the joke. And I I don't want to offend anybody, but it's, it's, I don't remember who told me, but it basically goes, what's the difference between a Catholic and a Baptist in a liquor store. Okay. Go for it, Scott. What's the difference between a Baptist and a Catholic in a liquor store? The Catholics talk to each other at the liquor store. There you go. Catholics talk to each other. The Baptists are trying to hide and go. Okay. The rule doesn't make you not do it. Okay. The rule just makes you feel like I've got a rule to follow. Okay. That's all it does. And that's Paul's point. You can have all this world, all the reason this world, Give me Jesus, Paul says. Stick with Jesus. And that's what he's going to get into as we, as, we start, and as we start chapter 3 here. And remember, we made these chapter headings. Paul didn't. Okay? This is man's thing that we can talk about the Bible with each other without going, yeah, it's, you know, it, it would be really tough without the chapter and verse headings to, to discuss the Bible with each other. But Paul didn't put those in there. So it's not like he stopped a thought and went on to the new chapter. It's still the same thought. He says, those things have no value against fleshly indulgence. Remember, he just said, in verse 20, he said, if you have died with Christ, pointing back to 
2 12 where he says you buried with him in baptism and now he says if then you have been raised up with christ pointing to 2 12 where he says you've also been raised up with him through faith so if you've died with christ don't listen to these rules don't listen to these techniques because you've been raised up with him since you've been raised up with him if you've been raised up with christ keep seeking the things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god so don't worry about this worldly stuff seek the godly stuff the spiritual stuff the heavenly stuff how do we do that that's the procedure okay don't focus on the worldly focus on the spiritual i'm going to give you a couple techniques okay but again the techniques aren't going to save you the techniques don't make you better or worse they're just going to help you and it's the same techniques we talk about all the time the youth could rattle them off because scott hits them all the time with the youth you got to spend time in the word if you're not spending time in this book you have a really hard time disregarding what the world is trying to tell you and focusing on christ because this is god's revelation to us how do we know jesus christ we know him through this book that's how we know jesus christ we don't know him any other way we know him through this book okay now the holy spirit lives in us and he helps us understand and he guides us but how many times do you talk to somebody and you hear them say god told me to do this or god told me to do that start asking them how did god tell you just to try to not to you're not trying to zing them but you're trying to understand when you say god told you what do you mean do you mean you were driving down the road and you saw the big neon sign that nobody else saw that said do this do you mean that you were studying your scriptures do you mean that god has put it on your heart and it's stayed there it stayed there do you mean that it was on your heart and then you had a couple of christian friends telling you the same things so be very careful with that language because god told me to do something can be used for some very awful things and has throughout history and we talked about that a little bit last time too okay so he says if you have been raised up with christ keep seeking the things above you need to be in the word people you need to have a relationship with christ through prayer okay and there's all kinds of techniques on how to do that but we need to be praying people that's what the word tells us is we need to be praying people and whatever technique you need to help you pray use it whether it's a certain time the same time every day whether it's stopping whatever you're doing in your mind and praying immediately when something comes to mind whatever it is do it we need to be in the word we need to be praying we need to be fellowshipping we need to be living in community we need to be part of a body hebrews tells us don't to forsake don't forsake the gathering together don't forsake the church being in a body we need to be in a body to help us keep our minds on spiritual things set your mind on the things above not the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with christ we get back here a little bit he's been talking about our walk here for about two verses he's going to tell us a little bit about the person and work of jesus christ again he says for you have died 
and your life is hidden in Christ. I didn't know this, but I found out in my study this week, uh, William Barclay told me that in, in Greek thought, Greek philosophy, which was the dominant philosophy then, I know they're under Romans, but that all came from, from, from Greek philosophy and Greek, uh, they thought when somebody died and was buried, they were hidden in the ground. They, they would talk to them about, or talk about them as being hidden in the ground. So Paul's using that same imagery. You have died with Christ and you're hidden in him. You're hidden, just like somebody who died is hidden in the ground, you're died and you're hidden in Christ. You're hidden in God, in Christ, in God. And then back from chapter 1, where did he say all wisdom and knowledge are? Sorry, not chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 3. Says, that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We are hidden in Christ. Wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. Where are we going to find wisdom and knowledge? Where we are in Christ. Where we are in Christ. Again, this word, Paul, it all ties together. It all ties together very well. Oh, my word. Okay. Faster, not funnier. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him. So the person and work of Jesus Christ is we're hidden with Christ. And oh, by the way, when he comes back, we're going to be revealed in glory as well. Hallelujah. We're going to get a, glory, a glorified body just like his. That's what we ultimately look forward to. And then he goes back to the walk. And he gives us a couple of lists of things we shouldn't do. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So instead of following rules that say don't taste, don't touch, don't handle, you should Think on spiritual things, which means you can consider your body dead to those things. So, if you're living in Christ, I believe that the Bible teaches He'll take those desires, those evil desires away from you. And the more you abide with Him, the more you live with Him, the more those evil desires are going to be gone. The more those temptations are going to be gone. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I, I, I talk about it all the time, tells us that no temptation has overcome us with what's common to man and in everything he gives us a way out so he gives us a way out of every temptation the more spiritually minded we are the less the worldly lust have anything or have any draw to us okay and any time that we are captured by those stuff it's because we have walked away from god we have not taken advantage of what he, uh, of the power he's given us but in verse 5, he gives us a list. Therefore, consider your members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, uh, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Okay, So those things are what Warren Rearsby calls the sensual sins. Okay, That's a list of the sensual sins. Things that are inside of us that can drive us crazy at times the sensual sins consider your body dead to those your earthly body is dead They're, they have no effect on you anymore for as a count on these things that the wrath of god will come hallelujah it's not coming for us for believers right we escape the wrath but it's coming because of these things and in them you also once walked when you were living in them yeah we were all unbelievers we were all living in the sensual sins but we've died and we've been raised with Christ, he tells us. So we're not in those anymore. He says, but now, now also put them all aside. And then he lists what Wearsby calls the social sins. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Things that are outside. The sensual sins are inside of us. The social sins 
are outside of us, how we deal with other people. And he just gives you a list of these things that they should have no part in us. We should consider our bodies dead to those. They shouldn't have any draw for us anymore. And I tell you, that's a process. It takes a while. It's a process. I know my speech, my wife could tell you, it used to be really bad. Really bad. I mean, yeah. I was a fighter pilot of fighter pilots doing the fighter pilot thing. It was bad. Okay? God took me away to that. And I don't have any desire to do that stuff anymore. I don't have any desire to do that stuff anymore. God has changed me. He says, now you put them all aside. And he says, do not lie to one another. And obviously, do not lie to one another. It has an obvious uh, application there that we should, shouldn't tell falsehoods. We shouldn't deceive each other. Okay? We shouldn't... Who's the father of lies? Satan is the father of lies. We should not align ourselves with him by lying. But I think a secondary point here that Paul's making, based on the list that he just listed, he said you should be dead to those things. I think the secondary point that he's making here is don't try to hide. Don't put up your mask and say, I'm not doing this stuff. We've got to be real with each other as we're living together. And only by being real with each other and confessing these things and saying, I'm struggling with these things, can everybody help us to get through that. And that's part of being spiritually minded. So I think that's the secondary uh, thing that Paul's talking about here. So he says, don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You put on the new self. So you've died. You've risen again. You took off the old self. You've put on the new self. And it's being renewed to a true knowledge of the one who created him. And that's Christ, right? A renewal. And we're going to end on verse 11 here. In which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freedman. But Christ is all and in all. And I know this is going to hit some of you people. I don't see a lot of long-term Texans here, but there's a few of you. It's going to hurt your long-term Texans a little bit. But the firearm is not the great equalizer. Okay? Christ is the great equalizer. Christ is the great unifier. He says, don't worry about these distinctions. All these distinctions that man tries to bring up, they're not there. God has made us all one in Christ, and He is all and He's in all. It's crazy. Our culture today wants to highlight distinctions that aren't in the Bible and downplay the ones that are in the Bible. I don't know if any of you listen to Al Mohler. Uh, he's got a great podcast earlier this week. He was talking about that. He's like, you know, the biblical distinctions are there's a difference between the Creator and us creatures. That's a biblical distinction that we need to embrace, but our culture wants to get rid of. Our culture wants to get rid of. There's no creator. Biblically, there's a distinction between us, mankind, and every other thing that he created. Because we're all created in God's image. The culture wants to get rid of that distinction. We're just another animal. We're just another accident of evolution. And what they do, what our culture wants to do, is based on getting rid of that distinction. We've got to keep the biblical distinctions and get rid of the non-biblical ones. God said there are no social. There's, you know, we talk about race so much. There, it, we're one race, people. We're the human race. We have different ethnicities, different cultures, different backgrounds, but we're all one race. We're all descended from the same people. There is no difference. And in Christ, there's no distinction. There's no, dis- there's no class distinction. There's no first class, second class. Okay? There's no wealthy and, un- and not wealthy. 
There's none of that because they're all we're all one in Christ. He gets rid of those distinctions. He's the great unifier. He is the great equalizer. So what's Paul told us? Because of what Christ did, don't fall back into legalism, asceticism, mysticism. Instead, realize that you were buried with him. You were raised to new life with him. If you want to not do the things that you're struggling with, not do those sins, the way is not to follow a rule, to follow a technique. The way is to draw closer to Christ, to focus on heavenly things, to focus on spiritual things. It's the only way to overcome our sins. And whatever sin we're struggling with, that's the only way to overcome it, is to draw closer to Christ. And he says, and when you put on that new, you'll be renewed. And in that renewal, we are all one in Christ. And Christ is all. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for just the way it is so unified. And, and uh, Lord, it just has the same message from, from the beginning to the end. And we know that you, Jesus Christ, are the center of of that message, the great climax. We know that we as humans sin and messed up this world and continue to mess it up. But you came and paid the price for us. You died for the sins that we have committed. And you threw them as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that when you see us, you see us through Christ. You don't see our flaws. You don't see the bad things we've done, but you see us through Jesus Christ. Lord, what a great truth that is. And I pray that each one of us would live in it. I pray that you help us to encourage one another, to be open with one another. I pray that you help us to be in your word and being transformed continually into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the day when you return and we're no longer in these sinful fleshly bodies, but we have our glorified bodies and we live with you for eternity where there is no pain, there is no death, there is no sorrow. There is only your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.